Yep. Hello and welcome to Sobertown. Um, let's get on that train and get ready to ride, ride into the wonderful world of sobriety. Hi, I'm Karina and I'm coming from you on location in um, Lincolnshire at the moment. Hopefully it's going to be sunny. It's 8am in the morning and I have an extra, extra long train today because it is stretching to the other side of the world <laughs> because on the train we have Tross from down under. Good morning. Well, good afternoon to you. Good, good afternoon for us. Yes, it's, it's Friday afternoon here. So, yeah. um, yes, yeah. hi. Hi, and thank you for joining us. And I'm so excited for this. I, I really am. Um, earlier in the week, I just kind of had an idea that it would be really good if we could follow someone from week one and follow their story and their journey. Um, because one of the things I've noticed on the I Am Saber app is that people are often asking questions like, is it normal to not be sleeping? Is it normal to have headaches? Is it normal to be feeling the way they are? And I thought it'd be really good to sort of actually do a weekly podcast um, where we could follow someone's journey and um, and relate that to, to everyone's journey that people can then relate. And it's quite a tall task um, asking someone in week one to come and do that because they're fighting their own sobriety and Tross, you stepped up to the plate so well yeah here i am so, yeah. eight days now eight days congratulations yeah. and yeah. um usually we say sort of you know the first week is is the hardest but i know in your last post you, you said that you'd found it pretty easy and you're waiting for that hammer to, to fall i am i am it's like it must be harder than, it's always been harder than this when I've tried before so I'm kind of yeah I, I'm kind of still going when when is the hard bit going to start because yeah. um it's been a very different very different journey this time around okay so. okay so we're going to look at that um we're going to look at that piece yep. by piece and see how different that is but I just one of the things that I was I mean I'm really struck by your, your posts um they are fantastic <laughs> um I really love them if anyone, if anyone wants to follow Tross from day eight at the moment on the I Am Saber <laughs> app. Um, and I just loved especially your first post. And I'd really like if, you know, if it'd be great if you could read that out to us now and just yeah. share that with us. So, yeah, so this was my first post that I, I put up. Um, I think it was still day one. Um, so I said, uh, thank you for providing an online support community. And I've just... Put a little bit up about my story. So um, what I've said is I have to free myself from the grip alcohol has in my life. I'm 43 years old and I have a lifelong relationship with alcohol. As a baby, my mother put brandy in my milk to make me sleep. As a small child, I would empty glasses from people at parties my parents would either take me to or they would host themselves. By the time I was 12 years old, I was sneaking alcohol into my drink bottle to go to school. Um, and at 14, I went to boarding school, but always snuck bottles of port in with me, um, whether that be from school holidays, midterm breaks, weekends away, what have you. Um, so I kept drinking. And I don't know if people back then just simply didn't notice the fact that I was um, basically pretty well always under the influence of alcohol um, or if they just didn't care. I, I really don't know, but I never got into trouble for any of it. Um, so by the time I left school, I was drinking a lot. Um, and I can talk more about that later, if you like. Uh, I still managed to hold down jobs. I completed study. I had friends. Um, 
all of my friends drank and pretty well they all still do. Um, I do have a couple of sober friends, but most of my friends drink. Uh, I have always found it difficult to socialise with non-drinking people. Um, a few years ago, I had an accident off a horse that had nothing to do with alcohol at the time, thankfully. Uh, but I did break my back and I suffered um, some spinal and, and other neck injuries. Um, so my back and my neck are still not right and they give me a lot of pain. About 12 months ago, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. It also causes a lot of pain. I was retrenched at the beginning of COVID-19 and so I no longer work. Uh, my drinking has slowly been getting worse. So I, at that stage, I, was, I would drink in the evenings. Um, it's the only time that I'm not in pain. So I was very much using it as a, a method of self-medicating, I suppose. Um, and I was avoiding my life basically until it was an acceptable hour to drink. Um, and so I basically, you know, I'd sort of sleep the day away and then go, oh, well, it's time to get up and start drinking now. Um, I have to somehow control this beast, as I describe it. Uh, I have asked my GP and she suggested contacting the community drug and alcohol team. However, I'm concerned that they will want to hospitalise me, um, which I wouldn't cope with. Um, I'm allergic to benzodiazepines, which, is, which I know is the drug that's often used uh, initially in detoxing people in a medical or hospital setting. Um, I also have severe anxiety and depression, so probably that's not helped by the alcohol either. Um, I describe myself as I'm a bit of a wreck, not sure how I'm going to make this happen, but day one is down and dusted. Today I took out the trash and I walked my dogs. So that was my first entry. Wow. <laughs> in sober. Yeah. Which I know it probably sounds like taking out the trash and walking your dogs is not really much of an accomplishment, but it had got to a point where that actually was an accomplishment. Um, mm. um, and in fact, uh, including taking out the trash also required me to take out all of the recycling which I always found an incredibly embarrassing thing to do, even though I live in a very um, isolated area. So nobody actually ever sees you. But, um, yeah, it still means I, I had to load all those bottles onto the ute and drive it because I'm in a rural area, drive it, you know, a kilometre up the road to where our garbage bin is and then offload it all into the recycling bin. And I remember I filled that recycling bin at, our recycling bins in Australia here are quite large. And um, admittedly, it was probably a couple of weeks worth of, of bottles of wine, but um, nonetheless, yeah, the recycling is a lot lighter these days. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember we have to go to bottle banks over here to recycle. So we mm -hmm. have to drive somewhere and put them one by one in, in these little holes in the bottle bank. Yep. And I'd stand there counting seven pounds. 14 pounds, 21 yeah. pounds, you know, for all the money. Yeah, well, we, yeah. Yeah. we in yeah. Australia, we do have those, um, what we call return and earn, but um, they don't take wine bottles. So, um, oh, wow. They do take beer bottles, however, so that's another, another subject entirely. Um, my wife drinks uh, beer, and, and so we have quite a collection of beer bottles. Um, yeah, I probably should just donate them to like the men's shed or something so they can get the money for them. <laughs> I don't know. 
yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's why I think progress. something to think of the future like what am I going to do with these bottles we, we don't Ooh. have a return and like we don't get paid for our bottles it's just like they're they're completely oh. recycled but it's just, I used to count with the how much that bottle of wine had cost me and how much oh. I'd been wasting oh, you know wow. yeah I think there would often be 120 pounds that I'd spent on these bottles that I'd just drunk. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, it's kind of yeah, yeah. scary when you do that. Okay, so what? When did you get to the point? What was the point that made you think something's got to give? <laughs> oh, look. As I say, I've I have attempted to stop drinking a number of times in my life. Um, the last time I tried to stop drinking was uh, almost three years ago. Um, and it was when I was diagnosed um, with the autoimmune disease and I was put on to methotrexate. And so I thought, well, I can't drink if I'm taking methotrexate. Like how much can a liver possibly deal with? So I did stop drinking then, um, but I finished up. I couldn't, I couldn't tolerate the methotrexate. So within realistically within a few weeks, I was off the methotrexate and back drinking Um you know, I, I do have to take um, steroids, so I take prednisone, which is terribly bad for your liver, and I was drinking the whole time while I was taking, I mean, I'm still taking the prednisone, but um, I, I was drinking the whole time whilst taking that, and I every time I would have a doctor checkup and I would, you know, do the annual bloods and they, they um, you know, I'd say, oh, have you, have you put the liver function test on there, you know? And so they'd, they'd always they'd always add the liver function test and if they hadn't then I'd just add it to the request before I went to the blood place because I think I really should just get that checked and uh and each time to my surprise it would come back okay um so yeah and, and you know I used to joke about the fact that my I like to exit that my liver was very fit and that I exercise it regularly um but of course that's just sort of, you know, a joke that you tell yourself when you realise that the sort of trauma that you're putting your body through. So, um, as I say, I have attempted to stop a number of times. Um, the fact that I have had some cold turkey experiences previously and not had seizures and not gone into cardiac arrest, which is what the drug and alcohol people, I should explain, a few years ago, I did contact the drug and alcohol line to sort of say, look, I'm, you know, drinking too much and I need to stop and I want some support to do that. And in Australia, we're quite lucky in the fact that you can actually go into a full medical setting and, and it's covered under the what we call Medicare, um, unless, of course, our government decides to destroy that, which they're doing their best at the moment to do that. But um, at the moment, yes, you can be admitted into um, hospital and go through a full medical rehab and it not actually cost you anything. Um, so it's not necessarily, it's not quite like the private ones, which are probably a little bit nicer. But um, but yes, that option is definitely available. So when I contacted the drug and alcohol line that time, that this was a number of years ago, and she asked, the lady I was talking to asked me how much I was actually drinking. And I said to her oh well you know on an average night probably two bottles of wine and and she's like you know is that every night I really you know binging on the week I said no that's every night then I'm, you know, on the weekends I might drink a little bit more uh, and she said do not stop drinking <laughs> like at the moment it would be unsafe for you to stop drinking 
we need to, you know, put you on a wait list and get you admitted to hospital and you need hospital supervision to be able to withdraw because your drinking is so great, like as in too much, that the chances of having a serious medical complication as you withdraw are quite high. So um, I thought, well, that's a bit shitty. I I, I was all revved up, ready to stop drinking. Mm. Um, And so contrary to her advice, I went cold turkey at that time. Um, My wife is a registered nurse, so I figured that, you know, she could probably deal with it if I started to have some problems. Um, And... So I guess at that stage I said, okay, well, it seems that I don't suffer from these um, dramatic withdrawals that that potentially could happen. Um, and as I say, I know that the way that they manage that in those settings is using a drug or a family of drugs that I'm allergic to. So anything like Valium or, tar, you know, um, uh, Tamaze or anything like that, I can't take any of those drugs. So, um, so that was, as I say, a number of years ago. And then... I guess I've been conscious of the fact that my drinking, um, like I keep putting on weight, <laughs> like, uh, which I didn't really like that. I'm now carrying about an extra 30 kilos that I didn't used to have. Um, and, you know, that doesn't help with the injuries and stuff that I have and, and the, the general issues around pain that I have. So a few times I've sort of thought, I've really got to stop. I've really got to stop. And coming up to the new year, so this is July, but coming up to January past, um, I was really quite determined that, you know, 2021, I'm going to stop drinking. And I told a few friends that I was going to stop drinking in 2021. Um, Some of them sort of said, oh, shit, you know, because sorry, I probably shouldn't swear. But, um, (laughs) but, you know, because they bought me some martini, martini, you know, espresso martini kits and stuff for but that was my Christmas present. They're like, oh, crap, you're going to give up drinking. Um, sorry about that. And I was like, oh, look, don't worry about it, you know. And I remember talking to my doctor, um, my GP, and I said, listen, you know, I really I, 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 I have struggled to try and give up in the past. I have um, made, you know, a number of cold turkey attempts. I really don't think I can do it on my own. I think I need. I knew that there's some medications that doctors can prescribe that that can help. I don't know. I know some of them make you sick. I think some of them help manage cravings. I don't really know a lot about it, but I just know they exist. And so I was saying to her, you know, can you prescribe me something like that? To which she said, um, well, she said a couple of things. Um, One, that she didn't really know a great deal about those particular medications and suggested that I go back to the drug and alcohol team, which is the people that told me I needed to be hospitalised. And the other thing she said was, oh, look, don't worry, we all drink too much. And and she then admitted to me, as had my previous GP and a previous GP before that, um, all lady doctors and all of them openly admitted the fact that they abuse alcohol. Um, on a pretty regular basis so and they talked about how common it was for um, women to you know not we're not sort of down the pub kind of drinkers we're sitting at home kind of drinkers but but yeah how common it is for women to be abusing alcohol and I mean she didn't tell me that that it was okay but she certainly didn't sort of jump to attention, if you like, and say, oh, you know, we need to do something about this. So consequently, I came into 2021 
Um, I'd said to my doctor I was going to stop. My birthday is in January, so I decided, well, I'm not going to stop drinking before my birthday. I mean, I've got to, got to celebrate that because, you know, you, you need alcohol to celebrate something. So um, I thought, oh, well, I'll get to, you know, get past my birthday more than my wife's birthday is in February, so I'll wait until after February. And then by the time that came around, I, I'd really lost interest in, in stopping drinking. So interestingly enough, I, I was thinking about this today, that a New Year's resolution doesn't necessarily have to happen on the 1st of January. You've got the whole year to pull that baby off, you know. <laughs> and so I thought the, the thing that triggered me this time was that I was going in to get my first Pfizer vaccine for the COVID and um, having an autoimmune disorder, my um, immune system can react in unusual and um, unpredictable ways. And so I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to have this injection. I probably shouldn't drink on the night that I have my COVID injection. Um, and so it started. And so that was Thursday last week. Um, and so Thursday last week, I came home and thought, I'm not going to drink tonight. And I thought, can I get through a night without drinking? Um, and I managed to get through a night without drinking. And so then I got to Friday morning last week and I thought, okay, well, that's good. I've, I've managed to get through a night. I wonder how, if I can get through another night. Like, and then I thought there must be, you know, in this wonderful digital age, there must be access to support you know, communities, if you like, out in the wide world of the internet. Um, you know, as I say, living in a, a small regional area, um, there's not a lot around here. There is AA, not really something that I've ever felt very connected to, I guess. Um, and I'm not saying that it's bad. I think, I think it does a great job for a lot of people. But for me personally, um, well, I don't believe in giving up my my power to some fictitious being or whatever that lives in the sky or something. I don't know, but I just don't, it just doesn't, it doesn't resonate for me. So but I thought, no, online, there's probably something online. So I looked around on Facebook and I found a group uh, there called Motivation to Quit. And I joined that group. And then somebody in that group um had mentioned the I Am Sober app, and I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. So I need to backtrack a little bit here because about 11 weeks ago, one of my friends on Facebook who I know people have friends on Facebook they've never met, and I do have some of those as well, but this particular lady I, I have met, we met at a dog show a couple of years ago. Uh, our marquees were next to each other um, and we, we got on quite well. And she helped me a lot. It was my first show. So, you know, um, it, it, she was a really, really lovely lady. And anyway, she's been doing a lot of sort of um, self-development sort of stuff, I guess. And in amongst that, she, about 11 weeks ago, mentioned on her Facebook um, that she wanted to change her relationship with alcohol. And, um, and she said, you know, if your nightly glass has become maybe nightly two glasses or, you know, in my case, I used to say, well, bottles are made of glass. So, you know, 
it's sort of, I'd have all these sort of throwaway comments, you know, to make light of the fact that I was actually chronically addicted to this stuff. And, and so she told me, well, she read, uh, written that during the week, the weekend, while she was doing all her jobs and chores and things, she had um, downloaded Annie Grace's book, um, The Naked Mind. And so I thought, oh, that sounds sort of interesting. And she'd said at the time, if you want to change your relationship with alcohol, I really strongly recommend this book. So I thought, okay, well, I'll download that. So I downloaded it and then quietly snuck it off into my little online digital library of books that I haven't read yet. Um, and, and I thought, I'm just going to sit back there because I know the day will come when I'm going to be ready to open that book. So I hadn't looked at it. Um, but by the time I was heading down to day two after the COVID shot, I thought I might open that book. And the revelations that just kept pouring, and I, I've got the talking version, I, I, you know, so I've got Annie reading it to me herself, which is really lovely. Um, and so, but to, to have all of this just, thinking about it from a completely different perspective. Um, you know, she starts off talking about the subconscious mind and the conscious mind and, um, and how much more information the subconscious is taking in than the conscious. And that just made perfect sense. I mean, that's obvious. We all know that. Like, that's not, that's not news. But I'd never thought about it in relation to alcohol and what are all the messages around alcohol. And so not only had I had a life already had a lifelong relationship with alcohol as in physically consuming it, but I hadn't thought about the lifelong promotion of this substance, whether it be as a stress reliever or as a form of celebration, a type of um, sophistication, if you like, you know, I've been members of wine clubs and wineries. We've got, in Australia, we have a huge, huge wine industry. Um, you know, I, 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 today I was having a look because, you know, in Annie's book she talks about, you know, do your own research. Have a, have a look at, you know, um, what sites talk about the dangers of drinking and what sites talk about how, you know, X number of drinks is healthy for you and look at the credibility of the sites and, and where that, information and research and, and and everything has come from. So, you know, I was having a little bit of a look around myself and, um, you know, I'm, I'm seeing lots of government, like Australian government websites, um, health government, you know, health, health sites for the government. And one thing that I saw today that just, like, it just jumped off the page at me was... And this was actually from the Victorian um, Health Department. Now, I, I don't live in Victoria, but it's one of the states of Australia. And I remember it said there are no safe levels of alcohol, no safe level of consumption. And I just, I, that's still kind of rattling around in my head because we have, as I say, entire industries built on alcohol in Australia. We are, I mean, I know a lot of the Western countries uh, have a big drinking culture. Australia has a really, really big drinking culture. 
And I think I look at it and I think, well, there is no way the government's ever going to shut that down because it's such a money spinner for the government, for wealthy Australians, um, for everybody, from the person who picks the grapes to, you know, the person who owns the vineyard. Um, there is, you know, you've got whole tourism set up around, around this. That's never going to be shut down. So if you're kind of thinking that the government's going to keep you safe and keep you away from toxic substances, it's never going to happen, never in a million years. Certainly not here. I doubt anywhere else. Um, you know, they shut down cigarettes. Yeah, sure. But alcohol, not a chance. And we, as I say, we just get bombarded with, with these um, images and ideas, whether it be in, in print, in, on the side of a bus, you know, on, uh, on television, in TV shows, in movies, um, around social settings, etc. It's, you know, alcohol is presented in so many ways that it's, it, well, Annie refers to it as the elixir of life, and that's effectively what what is being portrayed. Is you know, are you upset? Alcohol. Are you happy? Alcohol. You need to celebrate something. Alcohol. Like it, it's sort of, um, you know, are you sophisticated? Well, you know, it's like it just keeps going. And and I say so I'm still in a little bit of, I guess, a little bit of shock. I, I, I mean, I knew it wasn't good for you, but I never really thought about it as being something that that there was no safe level of consumption. That was something that I'd never really... I always sort of thought, you know, like people say, oh, how long are you going to stop for? And I'm like, I don't know. At this stage, I, I, I went for a day, then I tried for another day. I went for a weekend, then I went for a week. I've signed up for what we call dry July. I don't know if that's something that happens over in, in the UK as well, but um, so I'm raising money for the, um, the Northwest uh, Cancer Unit, uh, which is out of Tamworth, which is not actually where I live, but uh, my family are up around that way. So um, they have, they helped uh, my auntie as she um, underwent her treatment for cancer. And so I thought, well, that's a, they're a good grassroots organisation. And so I've managed to raise about $300 so far, but I'm hoping that might improve. Um, and, yeah, as I say, I, I, I never – so, you know, so at this stage I'm sort of saying, well, yeah, end of July, I, you know. I'm, I'm definitely sober to the end of July. Um, I don't know after that. But now I'm sort of going, well – because I had sort of thought, well, you know, if it was a really special occasion – maybe I would have a small amount of alcohol. But now I'm thinking, I don't know if that's such a great idea. <laughs> it's why is something that is so toxic still perceived as something so special, as a reward, as a, um, as a celebration? I just, it seems, I'm still trying to get my head around that. <laughs> Um, so I don't really have anything very insightful to say on the subject, but I'm just a bit flabbergasted, I think, is probably the term. Uh, yeah. So. 
Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of us find out in this journey is like we, you know. It is flabbergasting the information when we start digging that we find out about the truth of alcohol. And and that that is the point, isn't it? That we have to dig to find out about the truth yes. of alcohol. Yes. Nobody's going to voluntarily tell you. No, because there's too much as you've said, there's too much money in the industry, mm. you know. Um, advertisers, the people that make the wine and the government make a fortune out of it yeah. all um and you know and at the same time they're nicely anesthetizing us all as well and keeping us all in line you know <laughs> and, and it's all the subliminal messages that you've spoken about you know that yes. every, um i've spoken about this previously in a podcast i've actually i've got um a arrow word crossword book and it's got about 100, right. crosswords, 100 crosswords in it and on every single crossword there is some clue relating to alcohol and I'm going to do this. I'm going to write to them and I'm going to say, are you actually being sponsored by an alcohol right. company? Because, or is it just that it's just so normalised now? Um, yeah. As you said, you know, you've had three GPs say to you, well, I do that, you know. I've had people sure. say to me on my journey, um, I never knew you had a problem with alcohol. Well, I was drinking a bottle of wine every night for 22 years at least. It got a lot worse yeah. towards the end. But actually, is that normal? Is that what a lot of us, I, I used to work in healthcare as well. You know, yeah. that was a normal thing. We'd forgotten what the sound of the kettle was like. You'd come in, you'd open the bottle and, and that's yeah. normal. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the scary thing about it all, isn't it? Um, and I can see that the Annie oh. Grace book in your writing and your posts had a massive impact on you. Oh. Um, in the way that you're thinking and, um, you know, analysing stuff and, and um, I wanted to look at sort of the different changes week by week in things like your environment and relationship, yeah. physical effects, behaviours, thoughts and feelings. And I was thinking, I've already seen in a couple of your posts about how the book itself has, you know, firstly, your behaviour has changed because you're reading or listening to this book. Yeah. But you're also reflecting a lot on your thoughts and um changing differences and and looking at that addict voice and and what you're doing about it and there was a couple of um examples one was um the barbecue connection that you came up yes. with yeah. yes yes so so yes i mean one of the um i guess one of the homework challenges that you get fairly early in annie's book is to just notice and observe when you have a, a strong urge, like basically, because it's not, it's not something that creeps up on you. It's, it's like a trigger point. And so just try and be conscious when those trigger points happen and then see if you can unpack them and ask yourself the question of what is that attached to? How, what do I remember about that or, or, you know, what have you? And so last weekend I had invited uh, some good friends over and, um, their daughter and son-in-law were, were visiting as well. It was really nice to get to catch up with all of them. And um, anyway, I I was going to do some um, um, some ribs and some chicken wings, and I thought oh, I'll put them in my smoker and 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 smoke them. And then I thought, oh look, we've got to move. One of the um, side effects of having them come over was to help me move my new outdoor furniture um, around onto the corner of the veranda where I wanted it. And that when it meant coming past the smoker. So I thought, oh, oh, no, don't light the smoker because it will be hot. People have got to squeeze past it with this big table. People are going to, you know, likely get burnt. Don't light the smoker. But I had already started to 
stacked the smoker ready to light it. So I'd had the wood and um, kindling and everything in underneath. And all of a sudden, as I did that, I had this unbelievable um, urge to go and get a glass of wine. Like it was huge. And I'm like, I know that whenever I like the barbecue, I go and get a drink. Uh, I'd always say, oh, you know, fire's lit, pour a glass, you know, keep the cook lubricated, you know. And I thought, what is that about? What do I associate that with? And then I stopped and I thought, when I was a little kid, um, from probably about the age of six, my, we had a wood-fired barbecue out the back of our house growing up. And I, if we we're going to have a barbecue, I would go out, I would scrape the barbecue down and I would get the newspaper and the kindling and the timber and get everything stacked ready for it to be lit. And dad would come out, he would like the barbecue and I would run literally and get him a beer. And I would keep those beers up to him the whole time when he was, you know, cooking the barbecue. And so I realised that I actually had this, like this almost an imprinted behaviour that I needed to recognise and treat it as it was. So it's like, okay, I understand why I have such a huge urge to go and get a glass of wine, but I don't have to have a glass of wine. It's just simply it's connected to that, as I say, that imprinted behaviour. And and as a, you know, relatively intelligent adult, I'm able to say I don't have to do that. I can go and pour myself a cup of tea. I can have a glass of water. I can have a whole bunch of different things here. I don't have to have alcohol because I've lit a fire that I'm going to cook on. And the funny thing is one of my real passions in life is cooking with fire. And so <laughs> it's it's probably no wonder that I've, you know, I've, I've made those connections. But now it's like I can still enjoy my passion, which is cooking with fire, without having to drink alcohol. In fact, I'm probably better at it if I'm sober and less likely to, you know, burn something so yes, it's yeah. all, or burn myself. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's sort of interesting. And then I think the following day um, uh, I had the mower out and I was, um, I'd mowed our dog yard. Um, so we have a, I say being on a rural property, it's a little bit different to a, um, a normal, um, you know, residential place. Um, so we're actually on 27 acres, but um, we've got quite a large enclosure that adjoins our house, which is a safe area for our dogs to go in and out of. Um, and so I'd been in there, I'd mowed the grass and I came out and as I came out, I thought, oh, I feel like a beer. And I thought that's really weird because I don't really drink beer, but then you know, funnily enough, of course, I've, I've got beer in the house, which is beer that, like the kind of beer that I drink, because the kind of beer I drink is not the same as the beer that my wife drinks. And I, and the funny thing is I always say, oh, well, I'd like to, I like to keep a, a little bit of beer in the house just in case I feel like one would always be my justification. And, you know, I'd buy like a case and it might last all year, but it would just be there. And I realise now it was actually because, there are certain things in my life that trigger not, not wine, not alcohol in general, but beer and mowing the grass is one of those jobs. So I thought, well, that's sort of interesting, isn't it? And then I stopped and I thought about, um, you know, what, what was the association around that? 
And again, I remember as a as a kid, um, I had I've got an older brother. He's two years older than me, and uh, we would mow the lawn from when we were really quite young. Um, and Dad, even though he didn't mow the grass, he'd be inside usually asleep watching watching the cricket, but asleep. Um, and you know, we'd be out mowing the grass, and then when the mowing the grass was finished. Um, Dad would be like, well, get me a beer. And so, again, I'd run and I'd get Dad a beer and I would, um, you know, not only would I get him the beer, but but he would, as a reward for helping to mow the grass, he would give me some of the beer. Mm-hmm. And um, in actual fact, I've got a funny thing here. I'll find it and show you. It's funny or horrible or horrifying or something. I'm not quite sure what it is. But <laughs> if you just bear with me. I'll tell you a funny story. Well, it's not really funny. It's a bit sad. But um, when I was seven years old, um, we were visiting family in the um, country. Excuse me. Oh, sorry. I'm just sorry. Um, so, yes, yeah, so when I was about seven years old, we were visiting um, some family uh, in uh, another sort of regional part of, of the country and we visited... Um, as you often do uh, at the agricultural show. Now, agricultural shows there. I think, I think UK have agricultural shows as well. I, I remember yes, visiting some yeah. lovely <laughs> shows um, when I was when I went to the UK. Um, but if you're in America, I guess it's, it's like a fair, <laughs> I suppose. Um, and you've got sideshow alley, and down sideshow alley, you've usually got the clowns, you know, with the heads going back and forth. And and as a seven-year-old child, I remember you know, popping the, the balls into the clown's mouth and I won a prize and I could pick anything I wanted from um, from a particular shelf and my mother was there with me and and there's little dolls and there's, you know, all sorts of things to, to choose from, little teddy bears. And in amongst it all, I spotted something and I, and I pointed to it and I, that's what I wanted. And I remember my mother just about died of embarrassment. I'm going to hold it up so you can see it, and then I'll, I'll explain what it is. That's oh, wow. Yeah, that's that yeah. was what I chose. Which, um, for those of you who can't see the image, um, is actually a little tiny beer stein. It's about the size of a shot glass, but it, it was a beer stein, and that was my absolute pride and joy. And so, after the mowing, I. Once I was past seven <laughs> and I had my little beer stein, after the mowing, I'd get Dad's beer, I'd run and get my little beer glass and, and he'd fill it up and, and he might even fill it up a couple of times and I'd sit there and I'd um, drink beer with him. And, um, you know, it was a really acceptable thing to do, to give children alcohol. Um, and, you know, I look, I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. We did resolve that a lot better once we were a lot older but um at the time I was just desperate to have some sense of approval from him and if I sat there and drank beer with him which I remember I didn't like the taste of it but I pretended I did because it made me feel like I was close to my dad and that he would accept me um and so yeah I did it I you know I made out pretended that you know, it's something that I want. And um, as I say, it was very normal for children to have alcohol. I remember, you know, and I'm talking, you know, 
sort of primary, infant's primary age, not high school, um, you know, creme de menthe in lemonade, like what more classic 70s drink could you get? <laughs> you know? And, of course, it got worse in the 80s and we started having fluffy ducks when you'd have the Advocat and cream and lemonade and things and it was disgusting stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, my, my grandparents, we would go and visit them. Uh, you'd have masala and lemonade. Everybody would have a masala and lemonade before dinner. Um, and like these are not, it's not like my, my family were giving me amounts of alcohol where I was fall down drunk, although there was times when I was, but the majority of times I was only just being given these small amounts, but it was small amounts often enough that it became very much a, a part of my life. And then, as I say, by the time I got to, to high school, I was wanting more and more alcohol, and that's so that's when I actually started concealing it. And because we had a you know a drink bottle with your cordial in it, well, mine didn't just have cordial. <laughs> like it was, um, yeah, it's a, it's, I just honesty, I, like, uh, look, not not long after I left school, I remember I was speaking. I was going through a bit of bit of a rough time in my life, and um, uh, um because, of course, I'd come out as gay. So, you know, now I'm coming out as sober. But but, <laughs> but back then, you know, in the 80s, coming out as gay with a very conservative, um, very much right-wing family, uh, that didn't really go down all that well. So I did find myself homeless. Um, and um, I remember speaking to a community health worker at the time and talking about how much I was drinking. And she said to me, do you realise that you're drinking three times the brain tissue damage level every day? Wow. And I thought, I thought, really? Like, and, you know, and then, look, you would think that that's something that would, would have been enough to wake me up and stop me. It didn't. I mean, I'm talking... I'm 53. That was when I was 19. Like, that's a long time ago. And, you know, I distinctly remember that that person that, that saying that to me, and I remember thinking how shocked I was to hear that. But at the same time, I would make a joke of it. Like, throughout my adult life, I would make a joke about that and I'd say, gee, it was a good thing I started with such a high IQ. Because it was, yeah. <laughs> I had a few brain cells I could knock off and it didn't matter. That was my attitude. It was like, like, really? Yeah, <laughs> so, it, it, yeah it, it, it's, but we do do that, don't we, to distract sometimes from the amount we're drinking. And, and, and just listening to it, it's like not only was alcohol normalised for you, which it is for all of us, you know, yes. our parents who fed us alcohol. I did it to my yeah. son. You know, I didn't know any different then. We're not, they're not doing it purposely. They're thinking, you know, that it's a good thing. So not only is it normalised, but actually you learn at quite a young age that alcohol is good for building relationships, for bonding. You bonded over beer with dad. Yeah. And, um, and, and then also about sort of humour. It taught you humour as yeah. well, things to, to joke Absolutely. about. about. So, yeah. No, as I say, there was, I remember a time... I was probably only about six, probably about six years old, and my parents had had a party, and I'd been going around. Back in those days, you had the the hollow stem champagne flutes. I don't know if you remember those, but um, and 
you know, the stems would always still have champagne in them. And I'd go around just emptying out the stems and then going cleaning the glasses and taking them back. And um, and so I used to sort of, you know, get around the parties and I'd, I'd sort of empty out whatever was left in a glass if I'd pick it up to, to clean up, um, which I'd do throughout the, the party. And I remember one time I was so drunk by the end of the party and our, our hallway was quite wide and I my parents laughed about the fact that I couldn't, I was so drunk I couldn't walk up the hallway. Wow. Sorry, I just had a call. Yeah, cool, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so I was so drunk I couldn't walk up the hallway and I was literally staggering. Like I don't remember staggering into the walls because I was too drunk, but I do remember them talking about it and laughing about it for years to come about the fact that I was so drunk at, at six that I couldn't walk up quite a wide hallway. Um, and it was just, and like, it's not that they were monsters. It was just that was so normal. It was it such a thing. Yeah. You know, my, when, you know, my, one of my younger cousins was visiting and I think she was about 16 at the time and um my old brother was making cocktails and she was drinking fireballs at 16 and she slid off the lounge like like this little liquid body just you know know, down off the couch under the floor at 16 you know we all just laughed and joked about it so I don't think that we were monsters but it was just that was just so normal we're going to take a break here so we can go to the buffet car and get some refreshments <laughs> and uh, it's gonna be a very long one it's a long walk um and um we'll come back and we'll talk about sort of a bit more about sort of your story and this week and how this week's been for yeah. you okay okay See you in a bit. no problem thanks Hello, Sobertown, and we're back. I'm back here with Tross, um, who's just celebrating eight days sober. Um, and one of the things that struck me in the first part of this conversation was that you said you've had several attempts before, um, mm. but this time round, it's different. Um, and obviously, Annie Grace in the book, This Naked Mind, had a massive impact on you. Um, but is there any anything else do you think that's made things different for you this time round? Um, look, I, I I really do have to give a lot of credit to Annie Grace. Like the concepts that she has had me thinking about, and um, I guess meditating on. So it, you know, I, I sort of I take it in little pieces at a time. Like I might just listen to a chapter or so and then I'll just let that you know filter in I'm not trying to consume um, everything about the book all at once I'm only up to about chapter 10 I think Um, and it's completely um, altered everything that I think about alcohol has has been sort of laid out bare if you like and in a situation for me to be able to pick up each piece and examine it and sort of go, what does that mean? You know, where did that come from? Um, Is that real? Is it something that's true? Is it something I want to keep or is it something that I want to discard? Do I want it to be part of my past? Do I want it to be part of my present? And so um, one of the things, and I see a lot of people online who are um, trying to give up, that are struggling to give up, they're in their early days, and 
um, and they're finding it incredibly difficult. And I remember uh, myself, you know, trying, just trying to walk past the fridge <laughs> would be a battle of the wills, you know. And, and I just, in the past, whenever I would give up or try to give up, I, I felt like it was a battle of deprivation. It was, a, this, you know, I was absolutely depriving myself of something that I loved, something that I really enjoyed, you know, something I wanted. This time around, because of the way that I've been able to unpack a lot of that history for myself and, and actually start drilling down to some actual facts around alcohol, I just don't feel that way anymore. And so I don't feel like I'm depriving myself. I am making a choice. And every day it is my choice to make. And I'm happy with my choice. I'm comfortable with my choice. Um, I have found um, there was one time that I was feeling quite um, sort of agitated and um, and that was only the once during the week that I was feeling a bit agitated and I realised because I pr primarily just drink water now, I realised that it was actually sugar that I was craving. <laughs> so, <laughs> which, you know, is not good for you either, but it's better than alcohol. And, um, and so I just had a little bit of cordial and, and the craving literally went away straight away. Um, I see people online who have tried to give up. They've been sober for, you know, X number of days or maybe weeks or possibly even months. And then, you know, it's all gone down the drain because they've broken it and they've had a drink and they're disgusted with themselves and they're ashamed of themselves. And I just think... I, know, I understand where they're coming from because I've been there myself. But Annie Grace has empowered me to not hate on myself, not beat myself up. It's, it's just she's empowered me to make a decision and have a choice and then act on those decisions and choices. I don't feel ashamed that I was drinking more than I should have. I don't feel ashamed of the fact that I've stopped drinking. I don't, you know, I said before about, you know, I'm coming out as sober. And, I mean, look, at this stage there's only a small number of people, I guess, that know that I've stopped drinking. But, um, you know, so far I haven't encountered any, you know, negative comments. I haven't encountered any sort of questions. Um, I guess people that would know me well would go, uh, you what? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm fairly well renowned as somebody that you know likes to have a drink and and you know, um, so yeah, I I as I say, I just I look at these people and it's and I feel like um, I must be seen as this crazy Annie Grace fan club or something because I keep running around on these sites going, have you seen Annie Grace's book? You really <laughs> need to get Annie Grace's book. Like, and and I, I, I try to reel it in, but then I think, oh, maybe that one person, I didn't say it, I should have said it, you know. I wish somebody had introduced me to this book a long time ago. Yeah, I think um, we need to be shouting about all those things, that all the resources that we learn, because, you know, you mentioned earlier, AA wasn't for you, it wasn't for me, it may be for other people, um, but there are things out there that will be, but we're all different, 
We're all on a similar yep. journey. We're on the sobriety journey, but it's our individual journey. We need selection of tools. And along the way, yep. we collect that selection of tools. And the earlier we learn about them, the better. Um, and what, even, you know, you have lots in your toolkit because what may work for me one day might not work for me the next day. Yeah. Uh, so it's really important to get, and, and Drifter, who, who runs this uh, Sobertown podcast, he actually says himself as like a, a tool thief. You know, he goes along stealing people's tools. <laughs> and, and yeah, you need to do that. You know, you need to keep them. Yeah. And as we learn about them, share them with other people, because that is the joy of sobriety is that we're on this journey together and yeah. that we can share that. And that really, really helps. And um, the other thing I wanted to say to you, though, is that, you, you know, you, you, yes, it is credit to Annie Grace, that, that you're, you're doing this and, and, and that you've got this mindset now. But actually, the real credit is for you because you're the one doing this. <laughs> you could read the book and just go, yeah, whatever, and put it down. You know, you're the yeah. one thinking about it, that's meditating on it, that's restructuring your thoughts and um, yeah. your feelings and your behaviours. Um, because anyone, we, we can change our behaviour, we can stop drinking. And many of the people have stopped drinking. That was a behaviour change. But what we haven't done is we haven't worked it. We haven't changed our thoughts. We haven't educated ourselves. We haven't read about it. We haven't, we haven't actively been in sobriety. We've just stopped drinking. And I think yeah. that's a huge, huge difference. Would you say that that's a fair reflection of how it is for you this time round? Oh, absolutely. Because in the past... Uh, whenever I've tried to stop drinking, I have done it completely alone. I've had no support. I've had no tools. I've had no research. I've had nothing other than I really need to get my drinking under control was basically the thing that would be at the back of my mind. Um, and, you know, it was funny. I had some friends over uh, last night um, for dinner and, you um, and I was talking to them about it. And in fact, um, one of them was like, what's, what's that book? And so she was making a note of it in her phone so that she was going to look it up later um, because she was sort of quite intrigued by the concepts that um, I was, you know, discussing. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, just, <laughs> I just think that, um, like, in the past, as I say, I've sort of always tried to just do it on my own and I haven't had... Um, any kind of support and I and I always had the I just need to get this under control and without necessarily having and look and to be honest I still don't say that my goal is to never drink again I don't know what my goal is I'm just at the moment I'm just dealing with what I'm dealing with at the moment now today I know this month I'm not drinking this month as we get closer to the end of the month I'll see how I feel about August, you know. It's kind of, um, it's just I'm not trying to tie myself into something, I suppose, um, until such time as I'm really clear in my own mind as to what I want. At the, at the moment, I'm, I guess I'm having that battle between, um, you know, not wanting to say I'll never drink again because I've still got that, but you like it. But then um, I'm kind of going, but why would I want to? Now that I know everything I know why would I want to like it's kind of like you know going out and getting sunburned it's kind of like it's sort of you know 
oh, but you want to tan. Yeah, but your skin never tans. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, it's just like, it's not not something that's going to work and, and you're just going to get burnt over and over and over again. Um, one of the interesting things I was talking to my friends about was because I, I would, I said to them, I said, I would have said to you that I don't get hangovers. Um, I haven't had what I would consider to be a hangover in probably over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, then we started talking about what each of us um, considered to be a hangover. <laughs> so, and my concept of a hangover was so that you were so ill that you couldn't move without vomiting and your headache was just so just cruel that you, like you literally couldn't move without vomiting. That was my idea. If, if I didn't feel like that, well, then I didn't have a hangover. So I haven't felt like that in, in about, you know, 23 years or so. Um, not exactly something that you want to go, yay me. <laughs> like, but, but I, you know, that sort of fog, um, that numbing sensation, that sort of lethargic experience, I never thought of that as being a hangover. Um, now I'm starting to question a whole bunch of stuff like because I've got these other health problems and I'm sort of thinking, well, wow, um, looking back, you know, look, one of my GPs, um, a few, few GPs ago, I, you know, small area, you get to see people, you know, you, there's no such thing as, as um, being anonymous when you live in a small community. Um, and so I would see my doctor out at social things and she would be a fall down drunk. Um, and, you know, and I'd be sitting there going, oh, that's my GP, you know, great. Um, and she knew how much I drank and never, you know, suggested that I needed to do anything about it. Um, and I was suffering back then, this is going back uh, over 10 years ago, um, and I was suffering what she described as estrogen dominance. Um, and I was having all sorts of problems with um, fibroids. Um, I was in agony. I finished up having to have a, a total hysterectomy as a result of it. Um, and she sort of said, you know, you're, you're headed towards a um, estrogen-related cancer if you don't, you know, deal with, with um, these, these problems. Um, but she never at one point, never, ever said, all this alcohol that you're drinking actually, um, it, I can't remember the exact terms, but, but um, it, it causes your body, like in a female's body, it causes the female body to produce more estrogen. So all along, the cause of all that problem could well have been the fact that I was abusing alcohol and had been for so long. So now, you know, I'm now learning that, um, that alcohol um, causes inflammation in the body. Well, I now have an autoimmune disease that causes chronic inflammation throughout my body. How much of that is actually alcohol? Like I'm now questioning just about every diagnosis I have going, right, so the depression, the anxiety, the inflammation, like maybe there's a common 
you know, and look, I don't know if I'm going to cure myself entirely, but it sure as hell can't um, make it any worse by stopping, you know, this toxic substance that does all these things in my body, which, as I say, the doctors just go, oh, yeah, well, we all drink, we all, you know. Yeah. I mean, I have a very similar situation, but uh, I had my drink, had my drinking from my doctors and they never really asked me, so I never really told them. I never, um, I never lied about it. Like, no. I just, it's crazy. Yeah. I, was, I never, I never but I think, you know, that, that's kind of, and that, that's kind of helpful for me, actually, because, you know, I've, I've felt quite guilty, I suppose, in the fact that I hadn't told my GP and I'd had all these tests and had all these diagnoses um, and had all this help and all this treatment. And yet what I've learned now is actually I was just drinking my neuron, neuronic, neuron pathways away and um you know that's why I can walk properly I can talk properly I can eat properly I can speak properly <laughs> you know I couldn't um you know do all the things that I can do much easier now yeah. um yeah. because I've retrained those pathways so yeah. um so it, it's kind of it's nice of me to know that you had told your your doctor <laughs> and I hadn't done something about it but yeah, look you know, I you know maybe like I, I hide a lot of things through humour. I always have. Mm. Um, and so, you know, people, you know, people would say, you know, meet a new doctor and they, you know, do the general questions. Um, you know, one of those, of course, is, you know, do you drink alcohol? And I'd say yes. And they'd say, you know, how much? And I'd say, oh, you know, a fair bit. And, and they'd say, you know, would you describe yourself as a social drinker? And I'd say, oh, yes, and I'm very social. And I, that's how I would say it. I'm a very yeah. social person, you know. Yeah. And, like, I didn't say, oh, look, I'm drinking two bottles of wine, but I would say it in a way that I, I would be making fun of it and, I don't know, people just, I would come across, I guess, as together. <laughs> and so yeah. they, they just, I don't know, they never... Never sort of no, it's, it's a bit like, you know, when you were talking earlier about the Indigenous community and the Anglo-Saxon community and the differences there, and even sort of within alcohol and alcohol addiction itself, we very much have that, you know, we're not the person with the paper bag under the bridge drinking out of a bottle, yeah, so we don't yeah, have yeah. a problem. And then, you know, if your doctor to say to you, or do you think you ought to do something about your drinking? Your doctor would then have to look at themselves to think, yes, do yeah. something about my drinking too, you know. Yeah. Um, and but but then it, you know, I was in, in working in healthcare as a nurse for thirty seven years, and all these facts I'm only learning in the last eleven months about yeah. the real truth of alcohol. Because even in medical, it's not taught. Yeah. It's not, you know, you don't know the truth about it. So have you, know, what are your physical, because a lot of people have, you know, physical withdrawals, they have physical changes in their first week anyway. Um, have you noticed any changes in your physical health in the yeah. last week? Phys physically, um, probably the biggest one is that I don't feel as bloated as I normally would. Um, I I don't. I wouldn't say that I've lost weight, but I could. I'm fairly confident I've stopped gaining it. So it's sort of. I don't have that feeling of always being sort of overstretched. Um, but um, 
the only sort of physical withdrawals that I've experienced um, was when I, well, the other night I'd, um, when my friends had come over for dinner and I, no, it wasn't last night, it was the night before, um, and I'd, I'd made a, um, a rosewater lemonade which was absolutely delicious and probably just a little bit too delicious because between the three of us, we drank three jugs of it and um, and it just had way too much sugar in it. And so the next day I had this terrible headache from withdrawing from the sugar. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, alcohol is converted into sugar in our bodies. And so we're dealing with a double-edged sword there. It's not just the alcohol. It's also the sugar that you're dealing with and, you know, the effects that can, you know, it can bring on diabetes. It can bring on a whole range of other health problems. Um, so, I mean, I have had some trouble sleeping, mm -hmm. but um, I, <laughs> look, I feel really weird when I say this. Um, I, I had trouble sleeping, but it was because I was so excited. I was like, I was, you know, it's always exciting when you learn new things. And mm -hmm. I was learning so much every day because I was, you know, doing this sort of research and, and reading and listening and looking things up and, you know, thinking about things. And, and, and so I'd be so excited I couldn't sleep. And so one of fairly early in the week I realised I, I'm not to listen to the book um, late in the evening. It's definitely a daytime activity uh, because otherwise my mind is just going at a million miles an hour and I can't sleep. So it's like, no, it's a daytime thing. Let yourself have, you know, like sort of midday-ish, listen to the book. You've got the afternoon to, you know, think about that, research things, etc. So I've got the luxury of not working so um, I can indulge my um inquisitive nature to whatever extent that I want um so that was what was causing me not to sleep um prior to stopping drinking I was having a huge amount of trouble sleeping um and I would usually wake up about about four o'clock in the morning and then I'd be awake for sort of three or four hours and I'd be just about at the point where I think okay, I, you know, should just get up and that's when I'd fall asleep and then I'd be asleep for, as I say, most of the day until it was time to get up and start drinking. Yeah. And, right. and many of us talk about the 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, a different time zone, mm. so we talk about the 3 a.m. <laughs> uh, I mean, what you're talking about is very real for, for other people listening is the sugar. Um, a lot of start to crave sugar and um, once we stop drinking and it really is yeah. a real thing about the blood sugar levels um and i i'm just i've just reset again yesterday for junk food because after 11 months in like i'm really struggling with my junk food and and, uh -huh. and people start craving things you know they don't usually eat they didn't used to crave because it's just trying to put that sugar balance back but but you're right what we need to do is focus on the alcohol at the moment you know we can't yeah. focus on too much and you know if you're eating more if you um, i put on um a stone in weight when I quit drinking I was expecting it to oh, come really? on, on because I just oh, binge at junk um so if other people out there are doing that you know if you, if you are sort of eating more and putting on weight don't worry about it right now that's something you can deal with with later yeah. 
Um, and sleep, yeah, alcohol. Alcohol is good at getting us off to sleep, but not keeping yeah. us asleep. And yeah. you don't get REM sleep. Um, and But yeah, it's, it's really important to try and get... Um, well, we're changing all of our routines, aren't we? When we start, when we stop yeah. drinking, things different. Yeah. But sleep hygiene routine is a really good one to get into. Like you said, yeah. stop listening to things that stimulate your brain. Turn everything. Yeah. I, I I try to. Uh, I'm supposed, I'm not doing very well this week at it, but yeah, my phone <laughs> go off. Everything electrical should go off at uh, eight p.m. two hours before my bedtime. Right. And yeah. you know, but, and and I haven't done that this week. And I've been getting five hours a night. Usually, I get eight to nine. Um, and it's because I'm overstimulating um yeah so it's really important to look at your sleep routine and um yeah well I was I was having a lot of trouble trying to get to sleep when I first stopped drinking because of course when I was drinking that would just knock me that combined with all the drugs that I've got to take because of the illnesses and stuff and um so I'd be you know out like a light but but then I'd be awake um in hardly any time at all but um I have I do take melatonin um, which is a, um, like a hormone, I suppose, um, that helps to regulate sleep. And that that does help me. I don't think that it's harmful from what I've been able to um, work out. Um, yeah, and, and I use um, my latest thing to get me to sleep and keep me asleep is um, whale songs. So I, I, <laughs> I turn on Spotify and... and um, and um, play the the um, the whales kind of in a in a loop. Um, and there's some I don't know. It might not work for everyone, but it, it certainly I find it an incredibly relaxing sound. Um, and so I sleep quite well with the whales. Um, although I had a bit of a funny thing during the week. I thought that um, I thought that um, my battery in my phone was about to die and I'd spoken to my brother and I said, you know, I, I think my battery's suddenly, it's just suddenly not holding its charge. I don't know what's wrong with it, you know, and I think I'll have to um, try and replace the battery or I'll buy a new phone or something. I don't know what I need to do. And um, anyway, then I realised that in actual fact I'd forgotten to turn the whales off when I'd taken it off the charger in the morning. And so, of course, I couldn't hear the whales over the mower. So I was like... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so the phone's actually fine. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so the whale, I say, I find, you know, whether it be whales or, you know, gentle music or anything, I just, I just think that, you know, people need to find, you know, the thing that will help them in a more natural way to get off to sleep and, and, and you know, get a, a good night's sleep because, well, you know, sleep is critical for health so yes, yeah sleep sleep and nutrition critical so um they're yes. really important things to do and um yeah there's so much at our fingertips now isn't there and some people like white noise some people like stories you know there's lots of different things uh, there's apps as well like the car map you do have to pay for that but it's only about 30 pounds yeah. a year I've got lots of meditation on it sleep stories and things like that as well um and just coming back to your melatonin yeah nothing harmful with melatonin um it is a natural body product um so when the sun goes down of a night time our bodies produce melatonin which tells us oh it's time to sleep and we start to get sleepy <laughs> um 
why one of the reasons I try and turn my electrical gadgets off two hours before bed is because it mimics sunlight. TV, computers, ah, iPads, right. they the, mimic sunlight. So it tricks like the, the brain into thinking it's still daytime. And that's ah. why you awake as still stimulating you. So so gadgets yeah. off two hours before bedtime if you can. You can take a melatonin supplement. They are, you know, there's no you don't take too much. I think the recommended I'm not going to say because I think it's different in different countries. Um, yeah. but, um, well, I, yeah, like so this, just... my my doctor has prescribed this to me, so she knows that I'm taking it and and has told me how much I'm to take yeah. of the particular um, yeah. compound. I think depending on where it comes from, I think there's some uh, issues around strength, you know, yeah. etc. You need to know exactly which product and. And as you say, get the right advice for, for that particular yeah. product in your situation. Yeah, um, um, yeah I, I think unfortunately, you know, in, in, in the UK, um, we only use, it's only usually prescribed for people or children with ADHD. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it's quite difficult to get it prescribed oh, and sometimes for the elderly now as well. But in our oh. age range, Quite difficult so a lot of people do them buy it on online and things like yeah, that so yeah. yeah just just look at your strengths and, and your dosages um the, the other thing you mentioned in one of your posts with the second the physical effects was pain you'd noticed a bit of pain this this week oh um, yeah <laughs> um that was like um muscular pain um and joint pain but it was because i was becoming more active um, so, you know, I had um, a, a few days, particularly early in the week, where I was in a hell of a lot of pain, um, but it's because I was sort of up and I was doing things, you know, whereas, like, realistically, I had got to the point where, you know, more days than not, I would have slept pretty well all day, got up around 3 o'clock in the afternoon would have been drinking by four o'clock in the afternoon and would be sitting in the corner in my chair, basically in the dark, um, maybe with the television on. And that that was the sum, like my dogs weren't, you know, well, they get they run around because they've got plenty of space, but I wasn't actually actively involved in doing anything. Like I, I love my dogs. Like my dogs are the centre of my world and yet I had got to the point where I was basically ignoring them, like I'd feed them, but I, I wasn't interacting with them. And, like, you know, one of my dogs is a great dame, so it's not, it's not the kind of dog that you can just ignore. Like, it's, <laughs> um, and, you know, it's like I say, we live on a property, I've got horses, um, you know, I, I wasn't doing anything with my horses I wasn't interacting with my horses um they were just sort of there and you know I'd call the farrier get their feet done you know that'd be some total of and and I just thought like you know one of the things in in I'm sober apps is why are you doing this and I said because I want to start looking after myself I want to be healthier and I want to be able to have the energy to be able to live the life I have and enjoy it I actually have a great life I have I'm very very fortunate we have a beautiful place that we live you know we can afford for me not to be working I can take care of the, the farm take care of the home all of our beautiful animals and yet what was I doing sitting in the corner in the dark like 
it made no sense. Like this is all my life. I've thought if I if I could have my dream home, my dream life, this is what it would look like. I've got it. What am I doing sitting in the corner in the dark? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but alcohol robs life from it. Robs us of life, Absolutely. doesn't it? Of it everything. Does. Yeah. And so you know. So once I was, you know started to not drink all of a sudden I didn't feel anywhere near as lethargic um, and fatigued and so I'd, I'd be up and I'd be outside and I'd be doing things I'd be enjoying myself I'd be enjoying you know having the you know as I say taking the dogs for a walk doing some training you know doing all of those things that I want to do but because I'd become such a slug of, you know from sort of sitting around and doing nothing it actually hurt because all of a sudden I was moving my body. And so at the time I thought, hmm, okay, is this a withdrawal pain, like a physical pain from withdrawal, or is it something else? And so I thought I'll have one day where I'll just relax and not really do very much and see what happens. And, of course, there was no pain. So it was like, oh, okay, this is not withdrawal. This is just because you're actually getting some exercise. Like, you're using your body as it's supposed to be used. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. You mean you actually walk to the chook house? You know, it's kind yeah. of. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. Um, but that, it is a journey and it's a learning. We learn every day something new on this journey. And, and look at you just, you know, eight days ago, you were celebrating putting the trash out, you know. Yeah. And, you know, now you've made progress already this, this week. Yeah into your activities and we're going to learn we're always learning from that and um you know we have choices and and what came to my mind then was that you always have a choice you you we do do it one day at a time that's all we can do mm. we only ever have today we only ever have this moment really um but you always have a choice you're going to do the dry july and for other people as well that aren't aware of this annie grace does a 30-day experiment which you can do any time of year um it's all online it's all free to sign up for the 30-day experiment and it was okay. is that with that in mind with that well you know you're not necessarily giving up for life you're just going to do this experiment for 30 days and see how you feel at the end of it but yeah. at the end of that 30 days or at the end of this week or the end of next week or day by day you have the choice to pick up a drink and go back into that chair in the corner or to live the life that you're living right now. Yeah. That is your choice. And, um, yeah. you know, but but it's good. I mean, Polly, who I podcast with on the happy hour, she has a, a wonderful feeling. Um, it, it just maybe you, you, you remind me a lot of her, actually, about all your okay. education <laughs> and absorbing everything. She describes her going down rabbit holes of, like, information <laughs> learning and just you know if there's only if it's only a question i have to ask she's on it you know and she, she'll, yeah. she'll learn about it straight away and um but she describes that at the end of her journey she was like a, just at the bottom of a well a bottom of a mm -hmm. well in the dark looking up and she had to clamber her way out of that well and there's yeah. no way going back in that well um yeah you can never get complacent. We always say, um, I mean, Polly's a year now. I'm well, it should be 13 months tomorrow, actually. And I'm, I'm just coming up 11 months. We both know that we never want to drink again. We never want <laughs> to go back there. But we can't say that we never will. But yeah. it's actually now that is a horrible, scary thought to me now. It makes me want to cry. The thought that nice. I might pick up a drink again feels yeah. me 
dread and fear and that's what keeps me going but you can't get complacent you can't get complacent but it's about knowing we always have a choice um of what to do for me my mantra is not another sip no matter what because if I was to have one sip that would be it and Mm -hmm. I could not do what all these other amazing people do when they reset I've seen people reset my heart goes out to them but I'm in such or an admiration of them because if I was to take mm-hmm. another sip, I would be right back there. And right. uh, you know, and and when you described about your sitting in the dark in the corner, that reminded me of Poddy's well a bit as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and and we have a choice to go back there if if that's what we want. Um, and, and you I know, think the the fact that it is a choice that's the thing that helps me every day. And um, you know, and so I've got people around me who still drink and it just doesn't bother me. You know, um, my sister has, um, we, we built a, another house on our, on our land for her and, um, and so she lives on this property. I was at her place last night. She was having sort of wine spritzes um, and um, I, I, the funny thing is I quite like wine glasses so if I'm having, you know, a glass of like the lemonade, or something, I'll drink it out of a wine glass because I like the glass. And so yeah. I was drinking my, my lemonade at her place and we had the same glass and um, she'd left her glass in the dining room and I had my glass in the kitchen. I went to pick up my glass and she went, oh, just make sure that's, that's yeah. is that sure that's yours? You know, just make, and I, I sniffed it. I said, yeah, I can smell the rose water like that's, and, but I appreciated the fact that she was, you know, caring enough of my decision and my choice to say, you know, are you you sure that you've got, you know, I don't want you accidentally drinking some alcohol when I know that you don't want to drink alcohol. So I feel lucky in the fact that I'm supported by the people around me. Um, but by the same token, I sort of say to them, if you want to drink, drink. It's mm. Like what you do is your choice. It's your decision. What I do is my choice, my decision. You know, I'm not going to tell you what you should do and you don't tell me what I should do. (laughs) And and we leave it like that, you know. And so far that's working well for me. Hopefully it continues to work well for me. Yeah, I, I think sort of communication is key. Communication is key with family, with friends, with people around you, letting them know. I mean, not everybody feels able to do that. Not everybody can tell people about their journey. But if you can, then it's really important to talk about it. I don't think we can. We can't always expect them to celebrate and get excited about milestones in the same way as we do. I've learned that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's where cool. the community is good. You know, the I am so or communities are, are good because they will celebrate with you. They do get it. They get excited. Um, you know, so I'd always say to people, get yourself a community, have good communication. Um, connection is key. As, as many of us have discovered at the end of our drinking, as you were, you're doing it in isolation on your own. And connection is the opposite of addiction. And and you know what? It's it's, it's as my journey goes on, um, I, I just I seem to notice much more around me. And it's kind of like the universe is always giving me messages. And I'm on location at the moment. We're on tour around the UK on our, on our bikes. And we're in Lincolnshire and we're in this, t- this little cottage. And last night, Andy and I had a little roam around the gardens. And there's a beautiful tree out in this garden. And I've never seen it 
before I've never seen anything like it in England I'm like I kind of vaguely recognize it but I'm like this isn't a tree that I see in England what is this tree I I just really don't know what it is but it's beautiful and I love it and I was really attracted to it so we run some ladies groups so I posted a picture of it in my ladies group and straight away two of the ladies came back with it's a eucalyptus tree (laughs) and I'm like how crazy is that I'm talking to you in Australia and that's why it was recognizable because I have been to Boz so I have seen eucalyptus trees before yeah 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 I'm very much into aromatherapy oil as well so and I love eucalyptus so I went out to check this morning so I just broke the leaf to something I'm like my gosh it is eucalyptus the last time I did that broke off a leaf and smelt it and not from a eucalyptus bottle was when I was in Australia so you Uh know there's all is everywhere <laughs> yes um, well we're, we're certainly surrounded by eucalyptus where we live so um yeah. Yeah. yes it's, well um, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you and you. you and connecting to you um i think you know for anybody else listening stay connected get communities listen read go down those rabbit holes and, yes yes and you know um alcohol or stopping drinking is more than putting down that drink we really have to work absolutely. it yeah 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 absolutely well, i will be picking you up on the train again next week so okay um, until then have a fabulous one and i look Thank forward to, to speaking to you again soon fantastic i look forward to it <laughs> bye 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 bye